0: Dr. Shannon Sovendahl with Match on a Fire, Medicine & More podcast. Let the healing begin. Hi, welcome to Match on a Fire, Medicine & More podcast. I'm Dr. Shannon Sovendahl.
1: Hey, I'm Steph Sovendahl.
0: Thanks for tuning in. This is our third podcast, so we're still newbies at this. So thanks for bearing with us. If you checked out our first two podcasts, those were kind of framework podcasts, meaning the way that we approach medicine, our thoughts on trying to be great at our field. Practicing uh, medicine, three hundred seconds a day, minimum time commitment to get a little bit better. So always just focusing on that end goal to be our best. Today we're going to focus on specific medicine. We're gonna we're gonna do a lecture on shock. How does that sound, Steph?
1: Let's let them know it's a short lecture on shock. It's so.
0: not even a lecture. It's a it's a podcast.
1: <laughs> Whatever you want to call it. It's we're, gonna be that's short that's how new too, we are. So we don't like even know
0: what we're giving. So
1: twenty minutes ish. So a good way to
0: start out boring podcast is to read a book definition of shock. So that's what oh. we're gonna do.
1: He has uh, glasses on everyone, so this is this is what we get.
0: Getting ready to go. I'm gonna do some reading. Condition of reduced tissue perfusion resulting in inadequate delivery of oxygen and nutrients that are necessary for cellular function. So that's kind of a wordy definition, but it really catches the essence of what shock is. What do you remember about shock when you learned it in school?
1: Hypoperfusion.
0: Kind of sum that <laughs> statement up. <laughs>
1: you don't need so many words. Yeah,
0: that's good. I like efficiency of words. In general. So. This is a, a framework of shock lecture. We're going to talk about not, not necessarily treating shock. We'll get into that in our next podcast. But we want to kind of define what shock is and the categories of shock. So there are four types of shock, broad categories of shock. The first is hypovolemic. The second is distributive. The third is cardiogenic. And the fourth is obstructive. Is this along the lines of what you uh, got in medic school?
1: Uh-oh. You're asking me to go back, back B.C., my memory for BC is not that good.
0: What, before before Christ?
1: No, before children.
0: Oh, that's far. That's long ago. <laughs> uh,
1: those are different brain cells. My brain cells come out with every baby. So BC, let's go. I think I did not, I learned it differently. If I remember right, they didn't have all these these four general categories. They had more just neurogenic, anaphylactic, hypovolemic. Yeah, that's so- kind of how we learned it. We didn't have these broad categories.
0: So I think that what we're going to try to do is frame it into these four categories. And all those things that Steph just mentioned, there will be kind of classified into these four general things. So hypovolemic, distributive, cardiogenic, and obstructive. I like to think of shock in terms of a simple simple picture in my mind. And I try to always kind of wean things down to their easiest elements. And, and if you think about your physiology, you have a tank full of fluid. That's this volume that you have in your system. And that volume is then going to drain into a pump, and the pump is going to then distribute that fluid to organs around your body. There are vital organs and non-vital organs, meaning your body is very smart at knowing what organ preferentially needs nutrients and oxygen. And then all that is collected into a collecting system and drained back into that main tank. So we have the main tank into a pump, into a distribution system, hitting organs, both vital and non-vital, and then it flows back into the tank. And that's kind of our closed loop system. That is very similar to a fire truck, really, right? So if you have a fire truck, you have the tank in the fire truck, then you have your pump in the fire truck, and then you have all the hoses that flow out from a fire truck. And then you can have a collection system to actually bring water back into the engine to refill that tank. And essentially that's the human physiology, just like a fire truck.
1: I drove my preceptors crazy when they were teaching me my DOP stuff. Uh, when i was working for the fire service because i was like oh so it's kind of like when you're having an mi but and they're like i don't know what you're talking about we're talking about fire trucks
0: this is so. this is someone who loves medicine more than fire trucks but <laughs> well, was that an was engineer my background, so, yeah. my
1: background was medicine before i got in the fire service so i drove them crazy making these analogies so yeah but i,
0: I like the analogies because it kind of can can bring it home to to how we might apply it you know not just in medicine but and other, and other avenues as well.
1: Yeah, you kind of
0: pump. So again the four types of shock, hypovolemic, distributive, cardiogenic, obstructive. Let's go into the first broad category, which is hypovolemic. There's a sub two subcategories of hypovolemic shock. There's hemorrhagic hypovolemic shock and non-hemorrhagic hypovolemic shock. So staff, what is an example of, you know, hemorrhagic hypovolemic shock?
1: Uh, I think the biggest one we see is trauma. Yeah,
0: yes. someone gets shot and all the blood's laying on the ground on the concrete when you get there.
1: Yep. Or right. laying in their belly not where it's supposed to be. Yep. Fast exam, positive. We can talk about <laughs> ultrasounds and POCUS later. So, hypovolemic hemorrhagic shock,
0: that, you know, we think about trauma, but you can also have hemorrhagic shock for non-traumatic reasons, right? You can have a GI bleed. You can have a perforated gastric ulcer. You could have esophageal varices. All of these things can cause you to bleed inside. That wasn't trauma that caused that, but that's hemorrhagic shock. Even at topic pregnancy, last uh, month, I had a really sick woman who came in with abdominal pain, distended, and, and she ended up having a topic pregnancy. And it just reminded us that that is, uh, they always tell you to worry about that diagnosis because Mm -hmm. it can be problematic. So, hypovolemic shock, two categories, hemorrhagic and non-hemorrhagic. Give me an example of non-hemorrhagic hypovolemic shock.
1: Well, just because it's recent, I think back to pregnancy. I puked my brains out for a long period of time, and I feel like I felt like I was in (laughs) non-hemorrhagic shock every day.
0: Steph's yeah. totally right. I don't know about the pregnancy part, but the the vomiting and diarrhea, talking. right? GI loss is a huge reason for having non-hemorrhagic hypovolemic shock. If you could have skin losses, that would be things like burns, heat stroke, you know, skin conditions like Steven Johnson syndrome, things like that, that cause you to waste liquid out your your skin. Renal losses if you took drugs that caused you to waste salt, which would cause you to lose water. Third space losses, things like post-operative problems, post-trauma, things like that. So When we talk about hypovolemic shock, we got to think about those two broad categories. Is this a hemorrhagic cause or is this a non-hemorrhagic cause? But both reasons we have low volume. And we would treat those differently. So that's why it's important to kind of categorize those into separate groups. The next type of shock is distributive shock. This is one we commonly see because we know about patients that are septic, right? So when someone has septic shock, they have an infection with bacteria, virus, fungus, something like that that's causing them to become septic. But we can also have non-septic distributive shock. And this is the one that people don't always think about. But Steph, can you think of examples of non-septic distributive shock?
1: Anaphylaxis?
0: Yep. So anaphylactic shock, right? We get this sting that jacks with our autonomic response and our pathways. We get decreased vascular resistance, and that can mess up the way that we're returning that fluid to the tank. Other... Non-septic causes of uh, distributed shock can be Sears, you know, systemic inflammatory response syndrome. That can come from all kinds of things, right? That can come from burns, from trauma, from pancreatitis.
1: Can we have a uh, Sears response with septic though? I thought, I thought sepsis also was, yeah, often abso- had Sears.
0: Absolutely. So Sears is a systemic inflammatory response syndrome. That can occur with both septic and non-septic problems. So like I said, pancreatitis or burns, you can get a systemic inflammatory response from that. And that can cause you to have problems. When you become septic, you also get a systemic inflammatory response. And the way that you can kind of define that is if you have an infection plus sears, then we call that sepsis. Okay. If you have an infection plus sears plus poor perfusion or hypotension, then we call that septic shock. So we have these kind of categories, just sears and then we have sepsis and then we have septic shock. And those terms are always changing, meaning we're always having new kind of mnemonics and things to, to know that by. But in a general sense, that's how I think of it in my brain. If you have those kind of broad categories, Sears, which is a, you know the systemic inflammatory response, or you have that plus infection, that equals sepsis. If you add in hypertension, then we have septic shock. The next type of shock, we're on the third type. So we had hypovolemic, distributive. Now we're talking about cardiogenic. So cardiogenic shock can actually be subcategorized into three different parts. The first would be cardiomyopathic, and this means that you had a big heart attack, usually 40% or more of your heart muscle is damaged for you to go into cardiogenic shock from a heart attack. You could have underlying cardiomyopathy, say you had dilated cardiomyopathy, and now you have a stress, and that causes you to go into cardiogenic shock. The second type of cardiogenic shock is arrhythmogenic, and think about someone that's in you know a rapid heartbeat, SVT, VTAC flutter that's uncontrolled. All those things can you could be beating so fast that you're not perfusing, right? And then you're in arrhythmogenic cardiogenic shock. Slow rhythms can also cause that. So if you had a complete heart block, Mobitz type 2, things like that, that could cause you to go into cardiogenic shock. The last type of cardiogenic shock is mechanical. So think of a valve failing or think about when you have that heart attack and your papillary muscle ruptures and your valve becomes totally incompetent. Now you, you're not able to Get the forward flow that you need, and you are going to get hyperperfusion because of that, and you are going to have cardiogenic shock. The last type of shock is obstructive shock, and this is the one that's kind of the least common that we think about. But obstructive shock can be broken down into two categories. The first is a pulmonary vascular problem, and really with that, what we're talking about is pulmonary embolus, right? So if the pulmonary embolus is so big you can't get forward flow, you are going to go into shock because you have a block, obstruction, which is the clot that's sitting in. The vasculature. The second type of obstructive shock would be mechanical, and so think about that lining that goes around the heart. If you were to have constrictive pericarditis, or you were to have pericardial tamponade, that puts pressure on the heart so it can't beat, and it's basically just putting a straitjacket on the heart, right? So the heart can't fully expand to to pump, and you have yourself a mechanical obstructive shock. So the four types of shock were hypovolemic, distributive, cardiogenic, and obstructive. We pulled out UpToDate, which is a you know reference that you can look stuff up. We checked out the definition of shock on UpToDate, which was similar to our first definition. So Steph, you want to go ahead and read what they wrote in UpToDate?
1: So this is from UpToDate. Shock is defined as a state of cellular and tissue hypoxia due to either reduced oxygen delivery, increased oxygen consumption, inadequate oxygen utilization, or a combination of, of these processes.
0: So that's really similar to that first definition that we, we gave. When I went to undergrad, I majored in economics. I didn't know I wanted to be a doctor till I had actually graduated, which was- Just plan C. Which is very convenient when you haven't taken the prereqs. But So an economics major, everything's about supply and demand. And really what I think about in shock is supply and demand problem, right? Our supply is not meeting the demand that we have. And so normally when you look at a supply and demand curve and we're talking about widgets, there's a certain quantity of widgets that are supplied for each price. And when you offer it at a certain price, you get this equilibrium point. It's the point where people want to supply that widget for the price and where people are willing to buy the widget for that price. But really, that's kind of where we sit in medicine. And we have a word for this in medicine homeostasis. So when we're in homeostasis, we're in equilibrium. That means our supply to our tissues is equaling the demand and we're happy. We're a happy cats sitting there, not worried about anything.
1: Does the word widget come from economics or medicine?
0: I don't know. We use widget all the time in uh, economics because you don't want to specify word. like, are we selling, you know, popsicles? Or are we selling Coke cans? Or are we selling computers? You know, you Widgets. can just say a widget.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> you know, it doesn't doesn't affect the the concept behind it. I'm so.
1: Wondering if I need to start tossing around medicine. <laughs> but all right, economics. Yeah,
0: widget. It's a real word in economics. So getting back to shock, when we're in shock, that's a supply and demand problem. Our oxygen and nutrient supply does not equal the demand. So to think about this further. We got to kind of think about our supply side and our demand side. So oxygen supply, and we'll just focus on oxygen. Every time I say oxygen, just think about oxygen and nutrients and sugar and all those things that we need. Oxygen supply equals oxygen content in the blood times cardiac output. When I say that equation, that makes sense to us, right? Supply equals content of oxygen times cardiac output. So let's break that down further and think about what cardiac output or what defines cardiac output. Cardiac output is the stroke volume times the heart rate. And I'll start with the heart rate because that's easy to understand. The amount that we're putting out of our heart is relational to our heart rate. As our heart rate goes up, then our output goes up, and that's easy. I know that when I run up the stairs because I feel my pulse go up, and I know my heart rate went up because I need to increase cardiac output. The second piece of that was stroke volume. So cardiac output equals stroke volume times heart rate. Stroke volume is how much blood is being pushed through the heart with each beat. So in med school, I was taught it's like a train with cars. There's a whole bunch of cars. And how fast the train is going through the station is like the heart rate. And each car load is you know, your stroke volume. You can have different volumes in that train car. So stroke volume times heart rate equals cardiac output. We can break that stroke volume down into three parameters. First is preload. The second is afterload. And the third is contractility. And the reason we want to break this down is actually when we're treating conditions, not just shock, but when we're going to give vasoactive medications, what we want to do is we want to say, what is my problem right now? Is this a preload problem, an afterload problem, or contractility problem? And what medicine do I need to treat that problem? Because that's how I'm going to try to decide on what medicines I'm going to use. So we're in this general topic of cardiac output, stroke volume times heart rate. Stroke volume is preload, afterload, and contractility. Preload is kind of defined as how much filling the heart does. I like to think about this as me going to the bar and ordering a beer. I can ask for a pint of beer, or I get one of those big steins from Munich you know, during Oktoberfest, right? And that preload is much bigger. I'm going to fill that whole thing up. So preload is just a volume I'm putting in there to start. The afterload is kind of me at the bar deciding to drink this drink. If I ordered a Coors Light and was drinking that out of the can, I can only get it to flow so fast, right? If I were to get a wide mouth can, man, I can get it to flow a lot more because that has reduced afterload. So preload, how much beer you put in there, afterload, how fast you can drink the beer. And then contractility is really a muscle issue. It's, is your heart like Arnold Schwarzenegger or is it like Pee Wee Herman? You know, how strongly can you pump?
1: Shannon, what's your heart like? My heart black? is- con- <laughs> my heart- <laughs> Yeah, you, you, you would
0: think that. Everyone. is sad. <laughs> it's sad. I, I don't show it on the outside, but in the inside, uh-huh. you know, Morrissey, the Smiths, he, he said he wears black on the outside because he feels black on the inside. He's got yeah. a match. Yeah, he's he's right up my alley. So anyway, stroke volume, preload, afterload, contractility times heart rate gives us our cardiac output. That is our big component of our supply side, right? We're going to supply a certain amount of blood. The other component to this is how much resistance we have in the system. And that contributes or that relates to afterload. So systemic vascular resistance is speaking about how much our blood vessels are clamped down. If you think about a fighter pilot in his F-15 pulling six Gs, he's wearing a G suit, right? That G-suit starts to constrict the legs so that the blood gets pushed back up to the the vital organs. That's essentially what your body is doing all the time. Your body is a G-suit. It's going to control the systemic vascular resistance in order to maintain perfusion to the vital organs. So whenever we think about supply, we need to think about the parameters of our oxygen content times our cardiac output and our systemic vascular resistance, because those are all going to contribute to what the supply side is giving. From a demand standpoint, as we exercise, when we get shot, when we start vomiting, all of these things increase our demand because we're now in a state of stress. So our demand has gone up. So that supply side that we just discussed has to go up to meet that. So looking at each of these individual types of shock, we can look at the different parameters that we just discussed, preload, afterload, and contractility, as well as our systemic vascular resistance. If we talk about hypovolemic shock, we have decreased our volume. So our preload is going to go down. There's no volume to come into the heart. So preload dropped. When preload drops, we can't get maximal contraction from the heart from the Frank-Starling rule, right? The Frank-Starling mm-hmm. law needs to have the stretch in order to pump. So our cardiac output will kind of stay neutral at first, but then it will start to drop when we have hypovolemic shock because there's no preload, there's no stretch. The afterload, the systemic vascular resistance is going to go up because your body is trying to compensate for the decreased volume. So when we look at each of those parameters, we can say, wow, each individual type of shock has a different effect on each of these individual parameters. So if we look at cardiogenic shock, does preload go up or down? Preload's going to go up because the heart is not pumping forward that well, so it kind of starts to back up. It's like a patient in heart failure, right? That right atria is going to start to get bigger because it's not pumping the volume through. Because the heart's not working well, our cardiac output's going to drop. Because the body is now hyperperfusing, it's going to say, oh, geez. I need to increase my G-suit. I'm increasing my systemic vascular resistance to try to compensate. Distributive shock, what happens to preload? So we can see a couple things. Early on in distributive shock, we might see no change in our preload because the body's still kind of compensating for that. But as the distributive shock occurs and there's more and more pooling in the vascular system, there's less return to the heart and our preload drops. Our cardiac output, our pump function, can try to compensate for this. So it can try to start to pump faster and faster, but eventually it's not going to have that load and it could actually drop. So we, we generally see an increase in cardiac output trying to compensate, but sometimes it does drop in the end stages. The systemic vascular resistance, because we're having a distributive problem like anaphylaxis or neurogenic shock, which were distributive shocks, we get a decrease in the systemic vascular resistance. So that is the reason why we're having that potentially decreased preload because the G-suit is not working for us. Finally, an obstructive shock, we can see kind of a mixed picture depending on what we're looking at. But if we have a patient in PE, the preload early will kind of stay the same, but then it could start to drop as the return lessens because we can't get forward flow through the heart. Your cardiac output is probably going to try to compensate early, but then it's eventually going to drop because their preload drop. Your systemic vascular resistance is going to try to compensate for this, and it's going to go up. When you have a condition like pericardial tamponade, you're going to see your preload go up because it can't flow through the heart. You're getting back up you're going to see decrease in pump function because it can't pump forward due to the straight jacket that it's wearing so cardiac output drops and as a result of that not having enough perfusion to the tissue your systemic vascular resistance is going to increase so again when we're thinking about each type of shock you know take a second and think about how does this affect each of the parameters of our supply and our supply was oxygen content times cardiac output and variable dependent on the systemic vascular resistance so if you have an extreme increase in demand. So say I'm racing my bike up a hill or I've been shot and I'm losing my blood volume on the ground. I need to increase my heart rate, I need to increase my stroke volume. But eventually you meet your max. Eventually I'm at my max heart rate. Eventually my stroke volume is pumping as fast as it can. And your body has a, a second tier mechanism to defend against this. You can start to extract more oxygen out of the blood. So initially we extract about 25% of the oxygen in our blood. But as we get into these extreme demand situations, we've maximized our cardiac output by maximizing our stroke volume and our heart rate. Now we have to extract more oxygen from the blood, and we can extract up to 50%. Once we reach that maximum, everything's maxed out, we we need to rely on anaerobic metabolism. And anaerobic metabolism means that we're going to create energy with no oxygen. And it's a very inefficient way to, to work, but our bodies can do it. And a byproduct of this process is lactic acid. And if you work in a hospital or you have point of care testing in the field, you can test lactate, right? And we say, oh, this patient's in septic shock. Their lactate is six, and that's because they're relying on anaerobic metabolism. The bottom line with shock is we get into this vicious cycle of supply not meeting the demand. And let's just take, for example, hypovolemic shock. We get shot, we bleed out onto the floor. That's going to cause our volume to drop. As our volume drops, our preload drops. When the preload drops, our stroke volume drops. And When our stroke volume drops, our cardiac output drops. When our cardiac output drops, our blood pressure drops. Right, And that's exactly what we're measuring when we're saying, this patient's really sick and I'm seeing abnormal vital signs. It's because we have this whole process that's feeding back on itself. If we think about this as a vicious circle of shock, you could kind of draw this circle in your mind where you say, decreased blood return to the heart decreases cardiac output, decreases blood flow. That causes tissue hypoxia, which causes you to become acidotic. This causes vasodilatation and increased vascular permeability. This causes peripheral pooling and fluid loss into the tissues. And this causes reduced blood volume, which causes decreased blood return to the heart. And we start the process all over again and that's why shock is so deadly because it just keeps feeding on itself it's like each rotation of this cycle is getting worse and you know it's really hard to bring a patient out of shock and we have to be really aggressive with this and we'll talk about in later podcasts kind of what our treatment options for this that ends our kind of framework of shock next podcast we're going to talk about specifically hemorrhagic shock and the triad of death
1: i know you guys wouldn't get guess this from uh, what you just listened to, but he says, I'm the talker in the family. And I warned you that when he got his glasses on, things were about to get real. So (laughs) I
0: just get so excited. (laughs) Word
1: in edgewise. I I, I
0: get so excited about (laughs) shock. I'm sorry.
1: Next time.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Next time. Can't not do that pun. Steph can do it. No, I'm good. I'm just everyone out there. I'm sorry if I spoke too much (laughs) today. I'll I'll try to get Steph. You just might
1: need a nap. Yeah. All right. We'll see you next week. Hopefully that's it. That's it. See you guys. Bye.
0: I'm Shannon Sovindal, and that's our show. Thanks for tuning in to Match on a Fire, Medicine, and More. If you have any questions, shoot me an email at shannon at com. And if you're enjoying the show, head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Thanks. We appreciate you listening.